we did it. Okay, we're rolling. Podcasting starting now. Starting now. Engage. Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Let me do about Patrick Stewart. (laughs) Engage. We got to got to start up the pod. You know, kick the sides. Make sure that it's got enough gas in the tank. Indeed, indeed. We don't By which be I a... mean Vivans. Vivans, wheat weed for me. <laughs> which actually is the opposite of gas because weed is a, a, a depressant, I guess. So mm. technically, that's more like molasses, I guess. You know. Food. We all had some food today, right? Food. I am I right? Am I right, everybody? Food. Am I right? Food, y'all. Which, we y'all needed eat? to live. <laughs> what y'all eat? Um, you know, I actually had a Japanese breakfast, by which I mean leftover Japanese food. <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, from two nights ago. From two nights ago. Still hey. tasty. Hey, Still no tasty. Shame. No shame. What'd you have, Jorge? I had American-style Tex-Mex food. Okay. So yeah. I was just Ringo food? Ru- yeah, pretty much. I mean, mm-hmm. I just in a rush to get something, and I was like, mm-hmm. well, I just get something i usually get you know how it is yeah yeah I, i'm trying to start this new thing called uh, eating breakfast you know mm-hmm. trying to trying to get into in the realm of like treating my body like a temple instead of like a, a garbage can but uh, eating, yeah buddy erin eating what eating uh, <laughs> uh, breakfast <laughs> break, break, did i say it wrong breakfast breakfast wait breakfast I think Jorge's making a joke about how he doesn't eat breakfast. Oh, Jorge does it. Oh, Jorge, you're on the uh, the anti. Not it's not anti, like breakfast. I'm just agnostic about breakfast. I'm just like too, like anxious and like feeling like I have shit to do in the morning to like sit down and like enjoy a meal, which is sad, you know. Uh, it's not that I'm against breakfast. I I, I see where you're coming from, Aaron. Mm-hmm. It's just more that I forget, and it's a problem. You forget. Yeah, yeah. I wish, yeah, I wish, like, I was like you. Instead, for me, it's like mental illness. That's why, you know, I want to eat when I'm oh, just like, oh, I can't. I mean, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying you should be like me either, because then what ends up happening? It's like a vicious cycle of, oh, I don't eat. I'm really, really hungry. So then I binge yeah. eat, and then it's like, and then you're, yeah, dude. I know exactly what you, you mean. You gotta eat before you take your speed. You gotta, <laughs> yeah. You gotta <laughs> eat before you podcast too. I mean, all of these things are true. No, Uh, no, I think breakfast is very important. I I sometimes have trouble figuring out what we're supposed to eat for breakfast for optimum health. Uh Uh, I go through phases of things. You know, sometimes I'll just buy a big thing of oatmeal and eat that for a while. And then sometimes I'm bored with oatmeal. So I'll have like eggs or whatever. And then I'll be like, oh, no, my cholesterol. And I'll have some egg whites. But it's, you know, this is probably not that exciting for people to listen to. No, I mean, like, like we should start. Go ahead, Jorge. I mean, it, I mean, just one last point, And I think it's mm. important to mention this, that, you know, <laughs> it's an important discussion because of the fact that conservatives will say we're just consistent socialists because we're starving ourselves anyway exactly exactly no we we are actually i mean come on man look at uh look at the black panthers look at uh other other groups mutual aid groups that have done the exact opposite programs exact opposite what what i love about that talking point about oh socialism is bread lines i'm like so you don't want there to be lines for people to get bread yeah, oh, oh, you just oh. rather have no bread for anyone yeah. ever. Like that's a weird thing to say. It's like you have to like already be believing on board with like what they're saying because on its on the face of it, it's like so you think it's a problem that people can get food no matter what. Yeah, it, it's basically an assumption of like scarcity, I guess, because right. in the United States, like 
during the pandemic or other times U.S. history, like where uh, store shelves were empty. Yeah, I mean, literally, like didn't have bread lines. Yeah, we did not have bread lines, and look what happened. And look what happened, man. You know, so. I mean, we have had certain things like that, actually, in the United States. I'm thinking of, like, the long, 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 long lines of people in cars uh, lining up to get uh, goods Gasoline. delivered to them <laughs> through uh, some some sort of charity program. I think it was mm. in Texas. Right. Mm. Or his home state, where oh. there were just, like, long, long lines of people trying to get some stuff that they needed. What's yeah. incredible about that is that there was a long line of cars, and I'm like, why do you have to beat the car? Get the fuck out. And also, <laughs> But also, it's like an indictment on the United States' infrastructure. Like, why does everybody have to act like their car is their own individual self? Like, that... This is a diseased aspect of our culture. Well, yeah. to be fair, during COVID, it probably makes sense to not get out of your car. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I know what you mean, Jorge. I but, mean, that but, that, even... but God, what good did that do us, right? Yeah. It's like we have so many cars and yet, and yet. <laughs> yeah. Now, I know what you mean, Jorge. I mean, not to get into it because that could be a whole different conversation. But um, yes. I'm always amazed when I see like uh, Chinese like um, infrastructure projects, you know, like yes. these feats of engineering that – in the United States, you know, we have bridges that collapse, you know, highways that are falling apart. And then, you know, I mean, even if you're talking about just local communities like your streets, you know, pot, there's always the the person that complains about the pothole in their neighborhood. Right. But I'm looking at, you know, like this uh, this bridge, which is essentially like I mean, it's filled with water, you know, which mm-hmm. cargo ships. And it's over like uh, it's over like, I don't know, like a reservoir or some shit like that. Like it's like like a couple of tens of hundreds or tens or hundreds of maybe hundred feet in the air. And I mean, cargo ships, you know, like are traveling along this thing, man, like a highway that has water in it. You know what I mean? I'm just saying like these feats of engineering in the United States, it's like, you know, the average lifespan of a bridge is like 50 years old, you know? Yes. And, you know, I think you mentioned the important aspect of like that the state nat society is quite different than the state in this society. And I think it's important to reckon that the distinction is that there was a social revolution in one society, whereas in this one, there was a different kind. And this is kind of the topic Bringing it back. Corey's bringing it back. But before we do that, Mm -hmm. I want to bring it back to breakfast real quick. (laughs) Uh, And just point out, uh, Aaron made a very good point about the Black Panthers free breakfast program. Socialists are extremely pro-breakfast. And as I say in my pinned tweet, if communism had won, we'd be at brunch right now. So there you go. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Which, which, you know, uh, you know, people want to talk about, uh, uh, you know, brunches. I know that's the liberal meme, but uh, I think going back into this piece, where we're about to go into, uh, if you can commandeer the state uh, for the people, then you can do good things. Uh, let's commandeer. Let's take brunch back, man. You know, let's take breakfast yeah. and brunch back. You know, like the things that people hate about brunch. I mean. The, any any legitimate gripes with brunch have to do with how much it sucks to work at brunch, We're right? Taking America's to, brunch back to be to be a server at brunch and deal with all these like drunk hungover people and kids and like also brunch food costs less than dinner food, so you make less money. And it's yeah. a fucking nightmare. What if we could take away the bad parts of brunch and? only have the good parts of brunch. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of what Lenin is saying about the state. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I can do it too. <laughs> you love to see no, it. Nice. You love to see it. You love to see the nice segues. Hello, everyone. Hello and welcome to Everybody Loves Communism. Left is doing history podcast where we do the reading so you don't have to. My name is Jorge Rocha. I'm Aaron I'm Thorpe. Jamie. Oh, whoops. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Now that I'm back. Now that I'm back. Yeah, Jamie. I guess then... 
Uh, you go second, and I'll go. Third I'm now. used to saying it after Jorge. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But right, go ahead. Uh, no, okay, go, go ahead. Jake. I'm Jamie Beck, and I'm Aaron Thorpe, uh, returning uh, again for uh, returning I guess like an official episode. Permanent co-host. Aaron yeah, Thorpe. permanent, Yay. permanent co-host. The only way you're getting out is in a box, motherfucker. In a box, motherfucker. See, this is why I couldn't leave, y'all. See, JV's threatening me. That's why I couldn't leave. I had to come back. <laughs> so happy to have you. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy I mean to be look, back. I'm glad that Aaron's here because now I have another whistleblower here, uh, both of us living under the oppressive thumb of Jamie Peck. Indeed, oh, shit. Indeed, indeed. Oh, shit. Anyway, but before we get into it, you know, if you are a fan, be sure to you know, subscribe to our fans.fm at fans.fm slash everybody loves communism or our Patreon at patreon.com slash Everybody loves communism. If you find it annoying, you find it annoying that we have to keep promoting this, be sure to subscribe. And all of you that are listening, subscribe so that soon you don't have to be keep doing this. Until that day, we're going to keep doing it. And also, be sure to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Be sure to do that. that that's right. You're lucky we don't do like a whole fucking week of only asking you for money like they do on NPR. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. true. Yeah. They do I which I don't listen to except as oppo research, obviously. Mm-hmm. Obviously, clearly. Jamie's not out in herself. Ja- Jamie thought but, dodging mm-hmm. the liberal mm-hmm. liberal accusations. Well maybe someday. Someday. <laughs> be the liberal <laughs> be the liberal allegations. It's funny. I just like to think about when we expropriate NPR for the people and we put Daniel Denver in charge. How much exactly. how much better that's gonna yeah, be. Yeah, I can fuck with that. Shout out to the dick. Shout shout out to shout out to mm-hmm. the dick. He's got the voice the for now. it. It's a good thing to recommend to like your liberal friends who listen to NPR because it like kind of sounds similar and it has yes. like soothing tones of voice, or but it's if socialist. You're, if you're listening to this show and for some reason you have not listened to Dick, be sure to check it out. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike us, he's got a really nice radio voice. I should only speak for myself, actually. You guys sound no, great. No, no. I mean, like Daniel's voice is like it's like a syrupy and a Trojan horses you into if you're not like already a leftist, it's like a Trojan horse into listening to mm-hmm. leftist content mm-hmm. because it's so soothing. You can't help but continue to listen. So but you got a nice voice, Jamie. You got a, you got a oh, voice. Thank radio. you. Yeah. I'm too used to uh, I like I got to stop reading the comments of all these people who are like, you've got vocal fry who don't even know what that is. Mm-hmm. Off. <laughs> what they're saying is that you sound like you're a woman and not they have a problem mm. with that that's what they have a problem mm. with exactly but well, i mean yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll take it i'll take it continue Let's, on um, to return to the text we're gonna talk yeah, about yeah we keep doing such good segues and then wasting them just to continue with chapter six the last chapter of steam revolution <gasps> yes we're here we're at the end um, oh my god finally the title is The Vulgarization of Marxism by the Opportunists. Here, this chapter is three parts. At, and really what it's about is Lenin talking about other beef. Yes, he is. This this is Lenin doing his own, own take on this, uh, page six, basically. But for but for the left, the left in, in Europe at that time. He's shitposting, folks. Yeah, he's shitposting, yeah. I mean, like... As Marx, uh, as Marx did, uh, Lenin is also a. I was going to say the word hater, but it's not a hater. Is someone who kind of no, hates for no, no good fair. reason. No, no. no. Well, Lenin like, was a hater. He was a. He hater. was a hater, but I mean, he was a hater for a good reason, though. He wasn't just like play a hate and like you know pocket watching. Like well, he had well, a reason to do so. You know. Well, in the, in the, the first part, which will be my 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 my, my part, uh, he talks about how it, comp- it makes the contrast of like, no, no, this person is just hating. Just to be a hater. I'm a hater, but for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah. He, like, hates on haters 
And like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like hateception, you know? Yeah, it's There's like, like levels to the shit. It's like, I mean, he, have, you, have you seen that Chappelle show bit? Uh, like that, that skit of like uh, the hate, the haters convention. And it's like, yeah, the haters, like, yeah, the like, haters like, ball. And I, yeah, yeah, and I, I see like, he's like, hate, hate, hate. Hey, hey, yeah. hey. Lena would have been there. Anyway. Lena would have been there. I got to go watch that. But I get what you were saying about page six as well, Jorge, because he's like up in other people's business. Oh, 100%. He's like, did you hear what Kautsky said about Panacoke? OMG. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and also, too, like he, he's doing this at a time where, uh, you know, there's like. There's obviously like, you know, uh, like there's war and there's a lot of um, there's an aggravation of class uh, antagonism. And uh, it's time. The time is ripe for revolution. So, I mean, if there's a time for him to be a hater, now is probably the most opportune time, right? But not opportunistic, but because not- as we will learn, <laughs> Lenin does not like opportunists. No, he does not. He, in fact, hates them because he's a hater. He's a hater, but he's a hater who hates fake friends, you know. So yeah, 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 yeah. He probably he probably just be blasting. It's like no new friends out here. No, no new, new friends. friends. <laughs> but anyway, part one. Plekhanov's controversy with the anarchists. What? Who is this Plekhanov guy? Well, I'll get into it. I'll, you know, I'll introduce him. We'll get into it. But Lenin begins this chapter with a preface describing how the relationship between, quote, the state to the social revolution and, quote, of the social revolution to the state. In other words, the interplay between and interplay and mutual interaction between a social revolution and the state was, in Lenin's word, given very little attention by the leading theoreticians and publicists of the Second International, which, which lasted from 1889 to 1914. He claims the most characteristic thing about this gradual growth of what he deems, quote, opportunism that led to the collapse of the Second International in 1914, end quote, is how nobody wanted to confront this fundamental question and try to evade it or ignore it altogether. Now, he comes... He claims one could come to the conclusion that this, quote, evasiveness over the question of the relation of the proletarian revolution to the state resulted in the distortion of Marxism and its complete vulgarization. Now, to describe how we arrive at such a conclusion, he places his blame squarely on Georgy Plekhanov, which was the, who, was, who was the leading Marxist theoretician in Russia and, of course, ready for it, fan favorite, Karl Kotsky. Oh, we've talked about him before. Yeah, yeah, he's coming back. But this part we're talking about is about Georgi Plekhanov. The other two are about Karl Kotsky. But this one is a you know a bit closer to Lenin's heart. Georgi, uh, Georgi Plekhanov was the the theoretician, the Marxist theoretician in Russia at the time. He is one of the founders and leaders of the, of the movement of social democracy. At that time, and of course, we have to remember for those listening, social democracy was the first like origin of like what we would call the socialist movement that was an anarchist in Europe at that time. Um, so Lenin begins by examining Plekhanov's work that he published in in German in 1894, which was titled "Anarchism and Socialism," which is about well the relation of anarchism to socialism. Lenin believed the pamphlet failed to tackle the quote, most politically essential issue in the struggle against anarchism, end quote. Because, you know, as we know, if you've been listening or if you've not been listening, but Lenin did not like anarchists. That's why he's like, well, this is the thing we have to be focusing on, folks. But hmm. he didn't like the pamphlet. He explained and, and the, why the most politically essential issue, which is 
basically the most critical distinction between anarchism and Marxism, in his view, is, is by essentially totally evading addressing this relation of a proletarian revolution to the state and discussing the state altogether. This is not what, like doing that, that is not what Plekhanov did. Rather, what Plekhanov did, according to Lenin, is that the pamphlet had two distinct parts. Quote, one of, one of them is historical and literary, containing valuable material on the history of ideas of Stirner, Proudhon, and others. All these are, these are socialist thinkers. And, quote, the other is Philistine, contains a clumsy dissertation on the theme that an anarchist cannot be distinguished from a bandit, end of quote. Now, I mean, to be fair, they do tend to cover their faces. <laughs> um, now, this kind of line here can be a bit surprising to those who have been paying attention or have you know, know about Lenin. Like, what? Lenin coming to the defense of anarchism? You know, despite being such an intensely polemical writer, Lenin deeply cared about making political distinctions to be precise and arising out of legitimate political beliefs and how those beliefs carried it into practice. He abhorred sloppy analysis to fit a conclusion previously determined before any analysis had taken place. I think, and this is why he's taking so much care here, because he's like, he, he's like, no, 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 this is not what you should be doing. You know, he continues how this clumsiness on the part of Plekhanov was, quote, and this is the most characteristic of Plekhanov's whole activity on the eve of the revolution. In fact, in the years 1905 to 1917, Plekhanov revealed himself as a semi-doctrinaire and semi-Philistine who, in politics, trailed in the wake of the bourgeoisie, end quote. Which is, you know, an absolutely startling revelation. Um, Condemnation. Yeah, Damning. Pretty bad. So, <laughs> to return to his key, uh, Leonard Keenan's on precise analysis, he contrasts Plekhanov's critique of anarchism with that of Marx and Engels, as they, quote, with the most utmost thoroughness explain their views on the relation of revolution to the state, end quote. Basically, they never withdrew from discussing the fundamental nature of the state and what needs to be done regarding that in order to achieve socialism. Marx and Engels did not withdrew. But now, Lenin does make clear here, as he has done in multiple places in his text, he does not agree with anarchism whatsoever, as he describes anarchism as having, quote, <laughs> giving nothing, even approximating, true answer to the concrete political questions, must the old state be smashed and what should be put in its place, end quote, which, which is a very... <laughs> Just dropping bombs, man. Very strong <laughs> I, uh, like, disagreements. I'm going to say they definitely do answer the first part of that, and their answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, nonetheless, nonetheless, Jamie and those listening, he believes to even entertain any disagreement between the two, basically anarchism and socialism, while completely evading the question of the state and disregarding the whole development of Marxism before and after the commune, meant inevitably slipping into opportunism. For what opportunism needs most of all is that the two questions just mentioned not be raised at all. Mm. That in itself is a victory for opportunism. End of quote. Mm. And end of the part that we just did, very short, but mm. he's just basically saying, if you're going to be hating, better be hating with, with intention. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, that is super interesting because when I think about the differences between uh, anarchism as such and, you know, I guess communism, if such a thing 
I think there's a lot of overlap, but whatever. Like the primary thing I think about Pro- is their position Marxism. on the state. Marxism probably is probably more accurate. Well, a lot, a lot, yeah. I mean, a lot of anarchists are Marxists. A lot of anarchists are communists. So, mm. but like to the degree that these two things are distinct traditions, uh, the first thing we think about in terms of disagreement is generally the state. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy to me that anyone could talk about that without bringing that up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like I think what. And he, I'm going to get into this in part two, where he talks about, uh, where he criticizes the uh, the opportunist uh, Kotsky. I think the problem is like metho- uh, methodology, yeah. like how to get there, you know. And I think um, when when Lenin says like, you know, his first premise is like, do they believe in smashing the state, and what should be, what should it be replaced with? Um, I think like that that sort of what we talked about last time, the lower stage and higher stage communism. Like this is where there's disagreement with anarchists, right? That process of how to get there, you know? So I think for, for Lenin, at least, I think anything that isn't the immediate smashing of the state and replacing it with something else um, is ceding to opportunism or, you know, um, or is a failure, I guess, right? Or going mm-hmm. to be a failure. Yeah. yeah. In his words, I guess. But um, speaking of which then, um, so I have part two, uh, which is um, Kautsky's controversy with the opportunists, right? Mm. All right. So, um, so I'm gonna start here. Let Lenin them starts. Fight. <laughs> Let them fight. Exactly. Let them fight. <laughs> so, um, similar to where what Jorge was kind of saying is that uh, if Lenin wait, says, wait, wait, wait. Uh-huh. Oh, sorry. Go I ahead. Interu- Go ahead, Jamie. Never mind. Okay, Never okay. mind. Right. I had written it down wrong myself. Yeah. You did not make any errors. Continue. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, Kind of like what Jorge was saying, where Lenin says, if you're going to hate, then hate with intent. Um, Lenin here has issues with how Kautsky uh, critiques, criticizes Bernstein, right? Um, But first of all, Lenin starts by explaining how widely read Kautsky is by Russian workers. Quote, the Russian workers, by making in 1905 an unusually great and unprecedented demand for the best works of the best social democratic literature and editions of these works in quantities unheard of in other countries, rapidly transplanted, uh, transplanted sorry, so to speak, the enormous experience of a neighboring, more advanced country to the young soil of our proletarian movement. Mm. So basically, uh, Kautsky's work, uh, and Kautsky, by the way, uh, was a German uh, social democrat. Um, well, he was Czech, but uh, he uh, lived in Germany. He was a German social democrat, and his at that time, the were all the socialist uh, literature uh, that's coming out of Germany is going straight to Russia, right? And um, there's a lot of, as we can see, there's a lot of debate, right, about uh, the moment of revolution, um, what what should replace the state, um, how the state should be administered, and so on, right? Um, and Lenin continues. He says, quote, besides his popularization of Marxism, Kautsky is particularly known in our country for his controversy with the opportunists, with Bernstein at their head. So Lenin takes Kautsky to task by examining three of his works, um, Bernstein and the Social Democratic Program, the Social Revolution, and the Road to Power. So in all three of these works, Lenin's main argument, or by critiquing all three of these works, Lenin's main argument is that while Kautsky claims to abide by revolutionary views, uh, and he even goes so far as to accept the inevitability of revolution and recognize revolutionary historical moments in real time, um, he still waffles on the question of the state 
and falls back on his reverence for bourgeois institutions. So first, uh, the first piece, first Lenin takes issue with Kautsky's critique of uh, Bernstein, who, quote, accuses Marxism of blankeeism. What? Right. So this is this is a sort of, I guess, adventurism, right? The sort of revolutionary adventurism, which um, opportunists believe is maybe a little bit too hasty, right, for the social conditions, right? But, I mean, their claims are, I mean, their claims, are, I mean, I, that could be debated, but usually it's because of their close proximity to interest to capital, right? Um, which they don't actually want a worker state to happen, right? Um, but to continue... I feel like uh, this, this uh-huh. I'm sorry to interrupt, Edward, but I feel no, like go ahead, please. This, this aspect of blankism is like the original phrasing that they didn't have words for it yet, but original phrasing of what people now in the left who are trying to criticize those that they view as very like adventurous or too too committed to radical actions first and nothing else as like ultra leftist. I feel like this is like mm-hmm. the, the origin of like that phrasing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also a, a, a history of people who, I mean, the Blanquis believed that they did not need revolution from below. In fact, it's bad if too many people are involved. You need like this tiny little committed cadre that can violently overthrow the government and then hand power to the workers after that. And, you know, it wasn't the worst idea, but uh, (laughs) some people came along with some better ones after that. Indeed. Absolutely. Um, So to continue, um, uh, Kautsky's critique of Bernstein, he says, Bernstein, quote, accuses Marxism of blankeeism, an accusation since repeated thousands of times by the opportunist and liberal bourgeoisie in Russia against the revolutionary Marxists, the Bolsheviks. Mm. In this connection, Bernstein dwells particularly on Marx's The Civil War in France and tries, quite unsuccessfully, as we have seen, to identify Marx's views on the lessons of the commune with those of Proudhon. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Am I pronouncing that right, Jorge? Jorge pronounces it really well. Yes, he does. Um, Bernstein pays particular attention to the conclusion which Marx emphasized in his 1872 preface to the Communist Manifesto, namely that, quote, the working class cannot simply lay hold of the ready-made state machinery and wield it for its own purposes. The statement pleased Bernstein so much that he used it no less than three times in his book. Interpreting it in the most distorted, opportunist way. What? Damn. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, is it? I feel like, how do you get that phrase? And then you'll. I'm sure I haven't read this, and I hope we do read it at some point. But mm. I feel it. It seems like, according to what Lenin's claiming, it's like Bernstein uses this phrase from the Communist Manifesto to say, yeah. So this is why we need to have. This is why we need to have you know medic Medicare for all who want it. Yeah, this is why we need to have gradual. This is why we need to have gradual reform because Marx himself said that in no way is the working class ready to commandeer the state at this time, right? Or right, ready for radical people to just to say that. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So I mean, like, I mean, not only is this like a complete one eighty and distortion of Marxist uh, Marx's original ideas, but Kautsky, in his attempt to, I guess. I guess reclaims sort of Marxist vision actually pursues an even further distortion, right? Which Lenin explains. So Kautsky, in a further distortion of Marxism, he passively accepts that yes, the working class can seize the state and control it for its own purposes, but he doesn't stress or analyze how this may be done, right? Which is very important, right? He says, "quote uh, Lenin says, "quote 
He refrained from analyzing the utter distortion of Marxism by opportunism on this point. He cited the above-quoted passage from Engels' preference to Marx's Civil War and said that, according to Marx, the working class cannot simply take over the ready-made state machinery, but that, generally speaking, it can take it over. And that was all. Kowski did not say a word, and that's it. Kowski did not say a word about the fact that Bernstein attributed to Marx the very opposite of Marx's real idea, that since 1852, Marx had formulated the task of the proletarian revolution as being to smash the state machine, right? So, I mean, this is a problem because, I mean, it's one thing if you're going to, I mean... Like, no, nah, I mean, we're all tired of debate culture, right? But even in a, in a debate when you're trying to refute somebody's argument, right? Um, the thing that you do is kind of get to the heart and the nugget of what they're saying, the right. premise of what they're saying, right? What Kautsky is doing is that he is he is he thinks he's refuting Bernstein by saying, um, no, actually, Marx is right, and that the working class can seize the state, right? But he concedes to opportunism because he doesn't actually say how, right? He doesn't actually, which is the uncomfortable thing, sticky thing that opportunists, social democrats, or moderates, I guess we would call them today, liberals, I guess we would call them today, this is the sticky thing that they don't want to approach, right? Because then that opens up conversations about class relations, social relations, right? What does organizing actually look like? What does it look like to actually have, you know, uh, well, not in the minds of today's moderates, but at this time, at least, like a socialist state, right? Abolish the police or oh, sorry, yeah. abolish ICE or defund the police, but don't tell me how we're going to make sure that actually happens. Exactly. Exactly. Right. I mean, like, I guess it's like, I mean, it's it's exactly, Jorge, it's the, it's the sloganeering, right, without mm-hmm. backing it up with any action, right? Especially action that comes from below. And um, Kautsky... Here's what you need uh, to do. You need to go vote. Go vote. You need to go vote. Exactly, exactly. And to that point, though, Kautsky says um, in his words, quote, we can safely leave the solution of the problems of the proletarian dictatorship of the future. And this is Kautsky uh, writing against, in Lenin's words, against Bernstein, right? Um, So as I said, Kautsky essentially concedes to opportunism by not examining Bernstein's claim using Marx. Um, he leaves the revolution and the dictatorship of the proletariat to some non-specific methods at some yet-to-be-determined time in the future. And this is advantageous to those who would rather quell than stoke revolutionary fervor, right? Or smash the uh, state machine, right? Um, okay, so mm-hmm. I had a note that I wrote here. Yeah. It was like sort of devil's advocate, because obviously I hate Kowski too. Uh-huh. Uh, but like how I wonder is this different from okay like what standard is Lenin using to uh apply across the board when he's deciding uh how far into the future you have to get with your communist plans Mm. before something becomes utopian and idealist versus you know something that is material and and scientific and i mean i guess my answer to that is like we're literally talking about the next step in the process Mm -hmm. so that's like really not too far off to talk about it in fact we should definitely talk about it refer to chapter five jamie but uh i'll get i mean i don't know if you guys had thoughts on that well i mean like i i think that actually um and to answer the question too and to kind of lead into it i want to hear what you have to say jorge too um the next part i'm going to get to he actually he talks about sort of abandoning the bourgeois institutions and harkens back to the Paris Commune, you know, as a worker state um, with workers' deputies as an example of, 
I guess, that transition. But as you said, Jamie, I guess the question is, you know, uh, what's that what's that time? What's the statue of limitations? Right. On the state. Right. On this kind of organization. Right. Like how how long uh, maybe should it last? Like what what sort of criteria or parameters can we judge it by to say, OK, we I don't know. That's a good question because yeah, and like how know. far into the future can we plan? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, because I think that's also something that you had issue with, too, when we've covered this is this idea of the state withering away, you know, and I think that that's something that, you know, and I mean, I'll just say it like the same. It made me kind of think about the same criticisms that Lenin has of Kautsky. Um, and the opportunists generally about sort of this vaguely defined time and methodology, um, you know, that that is kind of left up to like, you know, history, I guess. Right. Lenin sort of has the same approach when it comes to this transition, you know, but I mean, at the same time, how could he know? Right. How could anyone know what's going to happen? You know, um, I think for. Yeah, I think for Lenin, the vagueness is like much, much further in the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for the Kautskyites, the vagueness is like much, much closer to the present to like the degree right that it is unacceptable to Lenin. Yeah. Yeah. So I have two things. Um, I'll go. The second thing is like addressing this. But uh, for some reason, the first thing I have like this brain warm in my head now. Mm. of just thinking about a Kautskyite Obama. Just being like, <laughs> just being like, like the proletarians should take the state, mm-hmm. and it's like, and then people are like, yeah, yeah, it's like, no, don't boo, go vote. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like Bernie might be closer. To, as much look, I love Bernie. Mm. I feel like Bernie might be the closest approximation no, to Akatsuki right. that yeah. we have in our uh, political world right now. Yeah, I, I, w- I mean, I would like say we've so we've too. fallen so much farther than that. I mean, I mean, like, the, I think the fact that Bernie's like, <laughs> sort of um his not meet us slogan, right? Has the ethos of his campaign, um, you know, this idea that fight for somebody that you don't know. I think all of these these collect ideas of like collectivism, you know, um, is very different from someone like Warren, right? Which they would be a lot of people would like to put him in the same camp, right? As quote no, progressives, no. but Warren's idea is he's a technocrat, right? And you could argue to some degree that Bernie's a technocrat, but Bernie believes that the power comes from it comes from below, right? Warren believes that, or uh, as a Kautskyite, I guess, right? Or not as a Kautskyite. I mean, I mean, I guess, yeah, as someone who well, believes well, in I mean, reform not, through the institution. Go ahead, go ahead. Warren is not a Kautskyite. I mean, no, she's like just, a, she's just like a. She's sub Kautskyite. She's a sub Kautskyite. She's she's quasi Kautskyite. She's a liberal. Yeah. But she's by a the end of this chapter. We're gonna realize that there's not really that big a difference. There, there isn't. And actually, why, why don't I get into it? Because uh, this, this middle part. Oh, there's this second argument, this middle part of this uh, second part of chapter six, I think kind of explains um, or kind of answers maybe some of the questions, some things we're talking about. So um, next, Lenin takes a look at Kautsky's The Social Revolution in which, quote, um, a gulf separates Marx and Kautsky over their attitude towards the proletarian party's task of training the working class for revolution, according to Lenin. Um so in this pamphlet, uh, this pamphlet vaguely talks of winning state power without being specific. Um, Lenin again, quote, says that that is he has chosen a formula which makes a concession to the opportunists inasmuch as it admits the possibility of seizing power without destroying the state machine. The very thing which Marx in 1872 declared to be obsolete in his program of the Communist Manifesto is revived by Kautsky in 1902. Right. So. 
in Kautsky's discussion and all his discussion um, in the social revolution of uh, the social revolution and the function of the, the functions of the state, Kautsky does not reference the commune, which is like, I mean, the most recent example in his time of a worker state, um, but concedes to bourgeois institutions or bourgeois parliamentarianism, right? Um, why would he do that? Why would he do that? And, and actually, he he kind of answers that, Jamie, in this next uh, his quote here. Kotsky was uh, alive for the Paris Commune. Keep that in mind. Yeah, exactly. Damn. Exactly. Right. So that's crazy. I mean, like, like, like Kotsky was born in 1854, so he saw the Paris. Like he, he like was a, like definitely conscious and aware of things. Like I think it was like in his teens. When, when the Paris Commune happened, and he done 1838. Like, that is after the Nazis took Germany. Yeah. Damn. So that actually makes him way worse than the Social Democrats that we argue with today, because nothing on that scale has happened in recent times. No, and he, and he saw it happening. And I mean, I'll get to it later, but especially when war breaks out, right? Um, mm-hmm. As someone who is critiquing the opportunists, right, and hoping that the German Social Democrats um, won't be as moderate Right. Um, when the time comes, um, what does he do? He supports the German war effort. Right. Right. Um, so but to continue, though, Kautsky, he says, uh, quote, still, it goes without saying that we shall not achieve supremacy under the present conditions. Revolution itself presupposes long and deep going struggles, which in themselves will change our present political and social structure. So this sounds very nice. Right. Um, again, very vague. Right. But reassuring. Right. Supposedly. But. Lenin asks, how will these deep, quote, deep going struggles define themselves in opposition to what came before the bourgeois revolution in state? Quote, by avoiding this question, Kautsky in practice makes a concession to opportunism on this most essential point, although in words he declares stern war against it and stresses the importance of the, quote, idea of revolution how much is equal this equal access equal to access right access right how much is this quote idea worth when one is afraid to teach the workers the concrete lessons of revolution which again the paris commune or says quote revolutionary idealism before everything else or announces that the english workers are now hardly more than petty bourgeois right so i'm a again, revolutionary socialist in theory, in theory, in theory, I want everything Lenin wants. But let's in be really pra- but practical here. Well, it, it's Gotta not be even practical. It's not even just, and that's the thing about practicality, right? Like, I mean, he's alive during the Paris Commune, so he saw like a practical implementation, right, of the closest thing to Marx's ideas, right, or at least like a worker state, right, a deputized worker state. He saw that happen, right? So it's to not be fair. To be uh, fair, to be fair to Kotsky, mm, mm. I uh uh uh. uh a little little devil advocate here is that uh, well, say you saw it and you're like in a moment you're like okay sure, let's not forget they got all got killed. Yeah. Yeah, that's but like why wouldn't he say that then? Like that is the obvious counterpoint to anyone advocating that kind of a revolution, right? Yeah. Like well, they all you're got gonna die in a few months, but he doesn't even do that. Yeah, yeah. and, and Kotsky's a really such an interesting figure too, because like he knew Engels personally, like he knew him, mm. and like uh, like theories of surplus value was published by Kotsky. Yeah. yeah, that's that's wild. Yeah, well, I mean, like I, you know, to that to that point, you know, it's like. You know, he wouldn't bring up the fact that because, Jamie, you're right. Right. The the best argument you could say is that, well, like everyone died. Right. It didn't work. Um, but his issue is not with the fact that um, 
that they died, but that they tried it at all even, right? That it existed, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's undesirable for him, right? Um, and, and we'll see how, right? So Kowski, Kowski has a reverence for the bureaucratic state of the bourgeoisie, right? And I'm going to quote this at length. Um, he says, quote, and this is Kowski saying this, quote, the most varied form of enterprises, bureaucratic, trade unionist, cooperative, private, can exist side by side in socialist society. There are, for example, enterprises which cannot do without a bureaucratic organization, such as the railways. Here, the democratic organization may, may take the following shape. The workers elect delegates who form a sort of parliament, which establishes the working regulations and supervises the management of the bureaucratic apparatus. The management of other countries may be transferred to the trade unions, and still others may become cooperative enterprises, right? So, again, I mean, like, I think one thing that I've noticed reading, like, a lot of these um, uh, through uh, Marx or Lenin, the work of a lot of these opportunists is that um, they're, 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 they're using a lot of words, but they're not saying very much at all, right? Mm -hmm. um, and Lenin, to that point, says, of course, there are going to be various forms of enterprise and, quote, bureaucratic, and I'm quoting, right, quote, bureaucratic organization to administer them as necessary for the state, right? Mm -hmm. This is all obvious, right? But again, how will this organization differ from bourgeois democracy, right? Um, and I'm going to quote Lenin at length here because, um, I mean, this is pretty much uh, a a sort of truncated uh, uh, sort of political program that harkens back to the commune, right? That is in direct refutation of Kowski's reliance on bourgeois institutions, right? And bourgeois democracy, right? Or uh, bureaucracy and democracy, I guess, right? Uh, so Lenin says at length, quote, the whole point, however, is that this sort of parliament will not be a parliament in the sense of a bourgeois parliamentary institution, the whole point is that this sort of parliament will not merely establish the working regulations and supervise the management of the bureaucratic apparatus, as Kautsky, whose thinking does not go beyond the bounds of bourgeois parliamentarianism, imagines. In socialist society, the sort of parliament consists of workers' deputies, will, of course, establish the working regulations and supervise the management of the apparatus. But this apparatus will not be bureaucratic. The workers, after winning political power, will smash the old bureaucratic apparatus, shatter it to its very foundations, and raise it to the ground. Very powerful language, very powerful imagery. Like, we're yeah. going to raise it to the ground, right? He says, con to continue, they will replace it by a new one, consisting of the very same workers and other employees, against whose transformation into bureaucratic will at once be taken, which were specified in detail by Marx and Engels. Um, one, not only election, but also recall at any time, uh, two, pay not to exceed that of a workman. And three, immediate introduction of control by all, so that all may become, quote, bureaucrats for a time, and that therefore nobody may be able to become a, quote, bureaucrat. And um, I just want to highlight that last line, right, or the third point, um, which is, it all may become bureaucrats for a time. And, quote, bureaucrats are in quotations, right? for a time, and that therefore nobody may be able to, quote, uh, be a bureaucrat. Um, I just want to say this is very unlike our current organization of capitalist society, right? Yep. In which individuals with highly specialized knowledge operate in highly specialized roles or fields that are alienated from any collective influence. I mean, whether you want to look at um, the private sector or whether you want to look at the public sector, um, especially if you're looking at something like healthcare, right? 
um, the way healthcare is administered in this country. Um, all of these things are performed by people who are trained to do these specific tasks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said before, it alienates, um, you know, average regular people, everyday people um, from these functions and these roles of the state, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or like a career politician. Yeah. Or think about that. Ex- exactly. Right. Exactly. Or in the term realm, as Jamie said, in the realm of politics, right, a career politician. Right. Um, you know, if everyone is made capable of administering the task of the state themselves without alienated representatives, um, whether in the you know uh, political world or the corporate world, um, specialization and atomization will eventually cease to exist. Right. Um, or i.e. the bureaucratic bourgeois state. And I think this is the same sort of idea about the state withering away, right? Um, Once workers commandeer the state, once everybody has a function and has a role, right, in administering these tasks, then uh, the state itself, right, will cease to exist. And of course, you know, we all here have debate about that, and that's yet to be borne out for several reasons, um, but um, that's that's pretty much... uh, I think that's an important, important point. Right. Yeah. I just want to hit on that. Yeah, yeah. we haven't uh, we haven't exactly figured it out yet between the three of us, but keep <laughs> listening and maybe we will. And maybe we will. <laughs> we'll all find it out together. Yeah, I think uh, that point about like the bureaucrats, people taking turns, I think uh, is a really interesting one. But uh, I mean, I feel personally it will just be an organic growth of further literacy and, and, and better education of people. In a sense that, like, that's why, like, historically, communist movements and socialist movements have been so focused on literacy programs because the vast majority of society have not been people who have had the opportunity, the, the most incredible gift of, like, literacy and being able to read others and others' others' minds through the through 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 these things that we call books, right, and and be able to become further educated and. You know, people in power, people, the capitalists don't want that. You know, uh, yeah. it reminds me of um, there's this quote from this person, Roger Freeman, who was a economist and was an important educational advisor to Richard Nixon. He said this in 1970, and when when asked, you know, 1970s shortly after, and still ongoing, like student college student movements of like the new left in the United States, the quote is like what he apparently said is like we are in danger of producing an educated proletariat. That's dynamite. We have to be mm-hmm. selective on who we allow to go through higher education. Like, he just flat out said it. Like, mm-hmm. And then, and it's like, when it gets to moments of crisis, they're just going to say what they actually believe to be true. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And that doesn't mean that people without formal education are dumb no. or ill-equipped to lead. Uh, quite the opposite. I mean, it means that everybody has the capacity Correct, yeah. to gain these abilities through education given the opportunity uh and it'll certainly help when everybody has all of these tools to be able to run society uh lenin also makes the point that capitalism sort of uh moves us closer to this reality by breaking down the production process into simpler and simpler parts where any worker could jump in and kind of do the job yeah yeah, absolutely. And I mean, to that point, I just want to, uh, you know, uh, is there, there's just been silly, silly discourse this week about uh, uh, literacy. I mean, everyone listening, you know, uh, you know, re- literacy is I mean, that's, you know, socialist revolutions. This is one of the first things that they do. Right. Is they implement universal literacy programs. I mean, there's a reason why. I mean, um, you know, they didn't want, uh, you know, black slaves, you know, in the United States to read. Right. 
I mean, like, it just fosters critical thinking, which opens up your worldview and questions as to uh, not only, like, why am I here, but why am I doing this for this person, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's uh, it's incredibly important. But mm-hmm. to finish out uh, this second part, or Lenin's problem with Kautsky's The Social Problem, uh, Lenin continues... Quote, Kautsky has not understood at all the difference between bourgeois parliamentarianism, which combines democracy, not for the people, with bureaucracy, against the people, and proletarian democracy, which will take immediate steps to cut bureaucracy down to the roots, and which will be able to carry these measures through to, through to the end, to the complete abolition of bureaucracy, to the introduction of complete democracy for the people. Uh so, so how so how is he defining bureaucracy here? Because I feel like that might be a little confusing for people mm. who are like, well, bureaucracy seems neutral or even good. Yeah. Like that's who administers, you know, whatever piddling things the state wants to give to the poor, for instance. So like, how is he defining it uh, here? Socialism is when the state does stuff, Jamie. We all know this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the way he's defining it is exactly as like, you know, Lenin says, right? It's this combination of democracy that's not at all democratic, right? We know this for like a host of reasons, mostly because it's not, eco- it's not democratic uh, economically, right? You may have political rights, but you don't have economic rights, right? But also, too, the bureaucracy is um, works against the people. I mean, wh- what's the best way I can think of it? I mean, healthcare? means testing. Well, me- yeah, healthcare. Or me- yeah, healthcare, right? Uh, means testing, right? Um, that, like, the means testing is administered by a bureaucratic state. Right. But because of its arbitra- arbitrary parameters, right, that are decided for whatever reason, whether there's a cap at, you know, um, you know whatever number limit um, – I mean, for whatever reason, I mean, this like hurts people and it's works against working people. Right. Um, As opposed to uh, universal programs that would be administered by a socialist state. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He he goes into it a little bit in my section, too. So we can talk about it more then. Mm. For giving $10,000 of student Mm -hmm. debt to those who open up businesses mm. for three years in underserved mm-hmm. communities. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And Lenin would have some, definitely have some issue with that. And, oh, uh, God. <laughs> and uh, so, again, because uh, to quote Lenin um, on, on this part, quote, uh, talking about the commune, uh, quote, Kautsky has not reflected at all on Marx's words. The commune, quote, the commune was a working, not parliamentarian, parliamentary body, executive and legislative at the same time. So uh, to close out this part, Kautsky has again ceded to the very opportunism he critiques by conveniently forgetting the revolutionary lessons of the commune and falling back on, quote, the same old superstitious reverence for the state and superstitious belief in bureaucracy. Oops. How did he do that? Oh, well. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, like, you know, like that part, again, I feel like is uh, out of the part that I have, I feel like that's like. Probably, I mean, they're all important points, but probably the most important point, especially when we talk about this transition from um, a bourgeois bureaucracy or democracy to a socialist one. Uh, this is something that, again, as Jamie said earlier, was we all always say, like, we're all figuring out, like, among the three of us, and you're mm-hmm. figuring out it, uh, it out with us as well. Um, but like, and we're he, figuring it out as a global movement. As a global movement, indeed, exactly. True. But I feel like um, that sort of... That's sort of underscoring um, and highlighting this abandonment of revolutionary ideals um, just at the moment when their implementation would be most ripe, most opportune, right? When you actually have the ability, right, 
um, to turn the state into whatever you want. Um, Kowski, again, falls back and relies upon bourgeois institutions that are uh, undemocratic and not meant at all for working class people. So um, so lastly, this is the last part, uh, last work that uh, that Lenin turns to of Kautsky. It's called it's a pamphlet called The Road to Power. Uh, Lenin says, quote, it's a pretty good name for a pamphlet, sorry to interrupt, pretty, but it's pretty, pretty cool. No, pretty good name, pretty good name, pretty strong name, as opposed to the other two before. But, uh, quote, this pamphlet is a big step forward since it does not deal with the revolutionary program in general as the pamphlet of 1899 against Bernstein or with the task of the social revolution, irrespective of the time of its occurrence as the 1902 pamphlet, the social revolution. That's the one we just did. Uh, it deals with the concrete conditions which compels us to recognize that the era of revolutions is setting in. So. In this piece, Kautsky himself admits that the drums of war are furiously beating, World War I, that is, and that class antagonisms have been aggravated. Uh, he says, quote, if the proletariat can no longer talk of premature revolution, um, it, the proletariat, can no longer talk of premature revolution. Uh, he also says we have entered a revolutionary period. Uh, he says, again, the revolutionary era is beginning. So, okay. again, okay. a lot of admissions, a lot of talk, right? Um, but okay, but, but like it, that's kind of obvious though. It's like like it's like oh well, would you look at that? A lot is happening. Yeah. Duh. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just very reminiscent of like um, you know like liberals when they finally acknowledge like um, I guess a unique historical moment. I mean the most recent one I guess is the uprising a couple of years ago. Um, you know, and I guess also. Uh, when Trump got elected, you know, anything that kind of like rattles their cages, right? Um, this is the time that they admit, right? Yep. They admit that there's a problem or that there's an issue or that there's some, not their words, obviously, but that there's some contradiction revealing itself, right? Mm. Um, but of course- yeah, only once it's impossible to ignore. <laughs> exactly, JB. Only once it's impossible to ignore, which um, again, we're, we're talking about uh, at a time in which the the the- Mm -hmm. Drums of war beating. World War right. One is bearing down on Europe, right? Well, um, it's, it's a bit before. It's World a bit War. before. It's a bit before, but it's a bit before. But I should say rather the conditions, yeah. right, are right for war, right? Yeah. And um, not only does Kowski again evade the question of the state, especially during this buildup, but he eventually betrays the working class and allies with opportunists by supporting the war, right? Ooh. So, as you as you were saying, Jorge, um, Lenin says too, like these statements, uh, quote, these statements are perfectly clear. This pamphlet of Kowski should serve as a measure of comparison of what the German Social Democrats promised to be before the imperialist war, and the depth of degradation to which they, including Kowski himself, sank when the war broke out. Very, very harsh, but true words. Mm -hmm. uh, so Kowski, these were his words, right? Um, the present situation is fraught with the danger that we, that is the German Social Democrats, may easily reappear to be more moderate than we really are. Hmm. And Lenin says, quote, it turned out that in reality, the German Social Democrat <laughs> Democratic Party was much more moderate and opportunist than it even appeared to be. <laughs> Right. Oh my Burn. god. Yeah. Got him. I'm, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Just, I think that's so funny. It's like, yeah, yeah, actually you were just wrong. You're worse than you what you what you thought you were. You even worse, exactly. Um and uh this uh, this last quote, uh I'm gonna close it out from Lenin and kind of wrap up, but this last I'm gonna quote it in full from Lenin is just in a nutshell, right? Um his entire critique of Kowski's like quota 
seminal uh, best works, if you could call them best works, right? He says, quote, Kowski, the sermon, the sorry, Kowski, the German social democrat spokesman, seems to have declared, I abide by revolutionary views in 1899. I recognize, above all, the inevitability of the social revolution of the proletariat by 1902. I recognize the advent of a new era of revolutions by 1909. Still, I am going back on what Marx said as early as 1852, since the questions of the proletarian revolution in relation to the state is being raised. And this is 1912 in uh, what is the build up to World War One. And, you know, when I read that part, I thought about the Dr. Manhattan meme, you know, and he's like, he's like, like, this is this is 1899. I'm abiding by revolutionary views. It's 1902. I'm recognizing above all. You know what I mean? Like, I should. In 1914, I voted for the war bonds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I voted for the war bonds. Actually, did he? Actually, I read he didn't support. He didn't vote for the war bonds. So he didn't specifically. He was not in a position to vote or not vote for them. Mm. Uh, he was just a consultant yeah. of the Social Democratic Party at that time. Uh, he advised them to abstain uh, from voting, which is like kind of a, a weaselly move, I think. And he also, uh, I mean, this is just what I read in some in some blogs when I Googled it like an hour ago. So like, you know, people can probably disagree with me if they want to, but like he believed that uh, like the Russia, that, that um, Germany was under threat, basically, and needed to defend itself. Exactly, exactly. Which, I mean, I mean from, like, a, from a certain point of view, certainly correct, but is that necessarily the point of view that a Marxist who is interested in proletarian international solidarity should believe? Perhaps not. Perhaps not, right. And um, No war but the class war, no war, but the class as war. they say. As they say. And, um, you know, to close out, I guess, I guess, I guess the lesson here in this uh, second part of chapter six, um, you know, with the... Uh, Kowski's beef with um, opportunists, though he himself is an opportunist. I guess the lesson here is that um, opportunists. <laughs> I guess the lesson here is that uh, opportunists or social democrats um, or moderates. I guess you know, like you could call them today. I mean, like because uh, even people like Bernie, you know what I mean, could fall into this. And we're seeing this happen, right? But these people, they take advantage of revolutionary sentiment in order to push reform or mere regulations to capitalism that are either chipped away and repealed or result in austerity that harms workers. Um, they especially use social unrest to concede to imperialism during times of war. Mm. So this is what I'm saying, mm. even someone like Sanders, right? Interesting. Um, even someone like AOC, right, the squad. I, I mean, wonder if that's relevant for right now. Exactly, exactly. This is my point I'm making, right? It's like, I mean, essentially, they're still going to waffle, right? Um, to We live in the imperial court. Um, they are imperialists. They're going to waffle, you know, um, and opportunists are unwilling to commit to the specific how of state seizure by the proletariat of state seizure by the proletariat or how the socialist state would be structured in place of the bourgeois state. Uh, a true worker state is not just in some far future to them, but it's actually undesirable. Right. They don't want it to happen at all. So wow. they don't trust the people. Yeah. They, don't, they don't trust the people. They don't trust the people. So that is the uh, that is the end of part two. Yeah, that's great, Aaron. And before we get into the next this next part that Jamie's going to talk about with his Kotsky's controversy with Panic Cook, doing a real quick stop to be sure to subscribe to our fans.fm at fans.fm slash everybody loves communism or our Patreon at patreon.com slash everybody loves communism. As I said in the beginning of the show, if you want us to stop promoting, be sure to subscribe so that we can then 
finally stop doing this advertising. But until then, mm-hmm. be sure to subscribe. Um, and also, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts if you like what you heard. Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Be sure to do that. We would really appreciate it. We'll read, we read every review. I, I mean, I know I do. I don't, but I will. If I, <laughs> if I see any bullshit... No, I'm gonna be very mad. <laughs> no. Screen cap it and post it. What? Yeah, I'm gonna yo, screen cap yo, and post it on Twitter. LOL. Screen cap. I mean, maybe once we get enough, we could read the good ones and the bad ones. Oh, that might be kind of fun. That might be. Have a have a mail in episode. All right. Mm-hmm. Com- T- comments from the peanut gallery. <laughs> All right, take it away, Jamie. All right. So this third part is on Kautsky's controversy with Panacoke. Pancake man. So, First of all, yeah, who was this pancake man? Who was Antony Panacoke? He sounds delicious, but I don't know anything about him. So he was a Dutch astronomer who later became a socialist. Pretty cool. And he is best known. Socialist in STEM. Yeah, exactly. Uh, He's best known as one of the founders of a strain of thought known as German Dutch Council Communism, Mm. which is a tendency which Lenin sort of notoriously grouped together with another very different strain of non-him thought in his 1920 pamphlet, left-wing communism, an infantile disorder. Um, But that's not for a few more years. Uh, Panacoke... Supported the Russian Revolution, but cool. he had some criticisms of how things wound up going, mm. uh, specifically how much power the Bolshevik Party officials took for themselves versus how much power should have been more directly in the hands of the workers via the Soviets. But like I said, uh, that wouldn't happen for a few more years. So despite the various places where Lenin throws shade at Panacoke, we can consider this to be happier times for them. Mm. So, okay. What was Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were still chilling and (laughs) growing at least, at least for the purposes of this particular chapter of this particular book. So what was Kautsky's controversy with Panacoke in this portion Lenin introduces Panacoke by grouping him together with other Marxists of the, quote, left radical trend, which also included Rosa Luxemburg. We're definitely going to read some stuff Mm -hmm. by her. And he said these people were critical of Kautsky for going over to the center, quote, which wavered in an unprincipled manner between Marxism and opportunism, Mm. end quote. He says this was proven correct by the war when Kautskyism revealed itself to be very bad indeed. And like I said, uh, he did not oppose this war, uh, which as a consultant to the German SPD, he was certainly in a position to do. He wasn't for it, but he wasn't against it. I don't know. So he he liked to sit on the fence, fence fence-sitting. well, he couldn't. Well, like Jamie said, right? He couldn't. He wasn't in a position to do anything, but he definitely supported it, though. We could say something, but he didn't want to lose access. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, okay, uh, people might can correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I, I think there was a little bit of tailism going on where he was like, well, you know, the, a lot of people, a lot of proletarians seem to support the war, so we have to support the war, too, mm. which uh, is, you know, tale as old as time, I think. Because a lot of the time, uh, various 
thought leaders will use, you know, opinion polls or whatever from a heavily propagandized public as evidence that, you know, the, the workers aren't ready for these bold new ideas or whatever. Exactly. Uh, it's, or they're socially conservative or something. Oh, they're more conservative yeah. than we think. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, well, that's isn't that the whole point? Like, we'd already have socialism if everybody was a socialist already. Taylorists in 1862 in America would have been like, well, look at the South of the proletariat. They don't want to get rid of slavery, so why should we oppose them? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do what the people want. Um, but yeah, in uh, in this article, Panico, I mean, he wrote a bunch of stuff, but uh, in this particular article, uh, it's called Mass Action and Revolution. Uh, Lenin says that Panikok takes Kautsky to task for his, quote, passive radicalism and wow. discusses, quote, the tasks of the revolution in relation to the state, which is, you know, kind of the thing we're concerned with in a book called State and Revolution. He quotes Panikok say? saying, yeah, he quotes Panikok, quote, the struggle of the proletariat is not merely a struggle against the bourgeoisie for state power, but a struggle against state power. Mm. Dot, dot, dot. The content of this, the proletarian revolution, is the destruction and dissolution of the instruments of power of the state with the aid of the instruments of power of the proletariat. Mm. The struggle will cease only when, as the result of it, the state organization is completely destroyed. The organization of the majority will then have demonstrated its superiority by destroying the organization of the ruling minority. Okay. End quote. So this is pretty much what Lenin's been saying yeah. all along. Yeah. Uh, he throws a little shade on how Panacoke presents his ideas, whatever that means. He doesn't really explain uh, yo, it that's, here. That's just hating on another writer. As a writer, <laughs> right? I'll tell you, we're all writers, we're writers here. I mean, it's just like hating on another writer, you know what I'm saying? Like, what, why? What's, yeah. what's the problem? He doesn't say. Yeah. Uh, but he says it is interesting to note how Kautsky responded. Uh, up till now, Kautsky wrote, the antithesis between the social democrats and the anarchists has been that the former wished to win the state power while the latter wished to destroy it. Panacoke wants to do both. But, Ooh, but, so. But what? What? <laughs> yeah. So this is, he thinks he's doing a burn here. Right. But uh, Lenin says, no, no, no. In saying this, Kautsky reveals that he is wholly an opportunist because of the way he understands or misunderstands the disagreement between the Social Democrats, which remember at this time just meant socialists, and the anarchists. Quote, he completely vulgarizes and distorts Marxism. Mm. So what's the difference really? I think he's about to tell us. Quote, the distinction between Marxists and the anarchists is this. One, the former, while aiming at the complete abolition of the state, recognized that this aim can only be achieved after classes have been abolished by the socialist revolution as the result of the establishment of socialism, which leads to the withering away of the state. The latter want to abolish the state completely overnight, not understanding the conditions under which the state can be abolished. Two, the former recognize that after the pro proletariat, has one political power, it must completely destroy the old state machine and replace it with a new one consisting of an organization of the armed workers after the type of the commune. Commune meaning Paris commune. Mm -hmm. The latter, while insisting on the destruction of the state machine, have a very vague idea of what the proletariat will put in its place and how it will use its revolutionary power. 
The anarchists even deny that the revolutionary proletariat should use the state power. They reject its revolutionary dictatorship. Three, the former demand that the proletariat be trained for revolution by utilizing the present state. The anarchists reject this. So I feel like I've gone over some of my issues with some of the things he says about the anarchists here. Uh, some of them are true. Some of them are a little straw manny. Um, I don't think there are any influential anarchist texts that claim the state can literally be abolished overnight, like in 12 hours or whatever. But uh, point is, any of these steps of how to uh, destroy the state. <laughs> yeah the point i mean if there are any uh you know show them to me and i'll read them uh i would love <laughs> to know but uh the point is he's agreeing with panacoke because panacoke agrees with him on this point that the uh the proper marxist position indeed involves completely smashing the bourgeois state through revolution but that is different from the anarchist position because it involves this uh this intermediary step of the worker state which is different from the bourgeois state in a number of significant ways as it, you know, hopefully develops and transitions our way towards communism. So basically, when Kautsky says that Panacoke wants to both destroy and seize state power, mm-hmm. Lenin's like, yeah, this, but unironically. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, it's um, like, yeah, it's like kind of what, what I mean, what we've been covering and what I was talking about, like, um, in my my section earlier, which Kowski refutes, is like this this idea of this trans- transitory process in which is a worker state, an armed worker state, where mm-hmm. it's. I mean, you just covered Jamie. The anarchist is sort of like, you know, which yeah, I don't know either. I feel like that is straw manny, like to say that like they literally want to like you know abolish it overnight immediately. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. what like a lot of anarchists online that probably don't read say but at the time i don't i don't think that that's what you know they actually believe but you know i mean you could find a few people that hold any insane viewpoint but um i don't think it's really what the uh the thought leaders were saying and you know that wasn't like the extent of their disagreements but I we'll think also, it was also find out because we're gonna read them too True, true. true. I, I mean, I think anarchists agree with a lot of what Lenin says in this text. Um, if they've read this text, yes, that's correct. Uh, yeah, but uh, some things uh, Lenin maybe believed, but it didn't pan out that way uh, in history. Some of them are like legitimate disagreements, but um, I did, I did get a, a couple of people tweeting at me when I was like mad online really late at night reading this text um like that someone was like yo i am a marxist leninist and even i don't think that uh lenin's critiques of the anarchists are really worth engaging with here so that made me feel a little better but um that's just like one person's opinion but anyway um we will continue Mm -hmm. so where was i lenin says oh yeah um, his his be- his primary beef here is not with the anarchists, which no. uh, which I appreciate because now I don't have to repeat things that I've already said in previous episodes mm-hmm. about it. So <laughs> Lenin says, quote, Kautsky abandons Marxism for the opportunist camp for this destruction of the state machine, which is utterly unacceptable to the opportunists, completely disappears from his argument. And he leaves a loophole for them in that conquest may be interpreted as the simple acquisition of a majority. 
end quote. Mm. So basically, he's saying, Kautsky is saying that we can vote our way to socialism. We don't need to actually have a revolution. And anyone who disagrees with that is a crazy anarchist because there's nothing in between. Hashtag get out the vote, 1917. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Lenin says now... Quote, to cover up his distortion of Marxism, Kautsky behaves like a doctrinaire. He puts forward a quotation from Marx himself. <gasps> In 1850, Marx wrote that, quote, a resolute centralization of power in the hands of the state authority was necessary. And Kautsky triumphantly asks, does Panacoke want to destroy centralism? So Lenin says this is simply a trick. Yeah. Uh, because centralism, quote unquote, is possible in both the current bourgeois system and the worker state he's proposing. Right. And the example he uses here is that if the workers were to, say, voluntarily unite the armed forces so they're acting as one organized group, uh, that would be a kind of centralism. Mm. Quote. Kautsky acts like an outright swindler by evading the perfectly well-known arguments of Marx and Engels on the commune and plucking out a quotation which has nothing to do with the point at issue. It's like, mm. bro, bro, you know, you know this, you know this, bro. Why are you talking <laughs> about centralism? Is this motherfucker really saying like, yo, Panacook, you don't like the state, and the, but the state does centralism. So you're saying you don't want things to be done efficiently? Curious. Yeah, pr pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. Say you'd like uh, society to change somewhat, but <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's like on that level of silliness. So yeah, now he has another quote from Kautsky, which I'm not gonna read it, even though it's kind of funny because I don't want this episode to be a million hours long. Um, he like throws out a lot of pointless questions about how how are you gonna set up this ministry after the rev? Are you against uh, you against state officials and union officials? What? And, and Lennon's like, look, I see what you're doing. You're talking about all this pointless shit with the goal of sidestepping the question of revolution that Panacoke has raised. He's running out He's, the clock. Yeah. Yeah, literally running out of the clock. Pretty pretty much. He's like filibustering this debate and hoping that somehow nobody notices. Like your eyes glass gloss over because you just get like this wall of text. You're like, oh, I'd really want to. Whatever. I'm just going to not deal with this. Whatever. I don't care. I'm going to walk T away. TLDR. <laughs> I guess I agree with you because uh, I don't want to so deal I'm, with this. I'm sorry that happened or or, or whatever. Just, I don't care. Yeah. yeah. Yo, that's crazy. Yo, that's crazy. Yo, that ass? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah Lenin's like look are we gonna replace the bourgeois state with a worker state or not bro and he says Kautsky slurs over this basic idea of Marxism or he does not understand it at all mm. burn so you'd think he would leave it at that but then he decides he's gonna address <laughs> Kautsky's, Kautsky's pointless questions anyway because he's just like he been he's a, a petty bitch yeah <laughs> thread like one of 100. Yeah, yeah. So Kautsky's like, oh, are you going to abolish officials of the state and trade unions? Like, do we like need those? Um, and, and, you know, no, throughout this, Kautsky doesn't really distinguish between a bourgeois state and a worker state. Yeah, of course uh, not. Either. I think it's sort of a willful uh, amalgamation, yeah, misunderstanding, cause, whatever. Because it's like he can eat, because if he defines it, then he would have to define himself and put himself into like yeah. a definite camp, right? But if he does this, then he can kind of like, like you know, uh, 
take advantage of revolutionary sentiment and kind of be like a chameleon. I mean, this is the mm-hmm. same thing, sort of like Obama. Like to use like a minor example, Obama, you can project whatever you want onto him and liberals like him because he's vaguely progressive enough when it matters, you know. And that's yeah. why Macron is like the evolved version of Obama. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Uh, so yeah, Kautsky's like, "Ooh, are you going to official abolish officials of the state or trade unions?" And Lenin's like, "No, dummy. We're going to abolish capitalism because that's the thing that's making those things bad." That's so stupid. Also, because it's like, "Oh, well, you, are you against the unions?" I'm like, "I thought it's like <laughs> unions only exist because of capitalism, idiot." Well, dude, people it's think, but that's like a very, this is like a, it's like a very, we can take a very modern thing like from the piece right there because people will say that they don't support unions because unions are corrupt, right? But I mean, that's like, you could say that like, well, for unions that like, you know, uh, that are like corrupt, right? Or union heads that are, I don't want to say bosses, but union heads that are corrupt. I mean, it's because of the system, right? The incentives yeah. that exist, right? Under capital. Well, he, right? he actually talks about this like really, really soon. Um, Go for it. It's also like, it's also like when uh, people are like, well, if we got rid of rich people, who's going to like pay all the taxes to fund the social programs? And I'm like, why are people poor in the first place? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Do you not see the connection there? People but, have uh, a lack of imagination. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. So, um, so oh, uh, to what we were talking about earlier mm. about bureaucracy, right? Because some people in, in our very, very, very degraded and depraved society, uh, bureaucracy is sometimes seen as a good thing, mm. right? Because it administers social programs he's defining bureaucracy here uh in a specific way mm. he takes the time to define bureaucrats as quote privileged persons divorced from the people and standing above the people so basically bureaucracy is not democratic it's not really responsive to people's needs exactly. um then he says something that he has definitely said before quote until the capitalists have been expropriated and the bourgeoisie overthrown, even proletarian functionaries will inevitably be bureaucratized to a certain extent. And uh, But then he repeats all the ways that they will be different and better, using the example of the Paris Commune, um, easy recall, low salaries, etc. Um, he doesn't mention universal suffrage, but it's something he mentions mm. elsewhere. So... So he's sort of doing this interesting thing here, right, where he swings back and forth between saying that, uh, on the one hand, the workers' state and its administrators will be very different from the bourgeois state. Uh, It's going to be much more democratic, much more controlled by workers, much less bureaucratic. Mm -hmm. Um, But to the degree that they are in any way not that uh, it will only be because the bourgeoisie still exists. Uh, if not in his country, then in other countries, you know, we're still fighting capitalism. We're not we're not even close to being done yet. So sometimes I think I'm sympathetic to that as a reason. And other times, not so much. But we're going to discuss this further in great detail when we do the October Revolution on this show. Well, Jamie... The dialectic, you both, it's both good and bad. Mm-hmm. And I, can, I, can I just note too that I think what's what's really like cool is like sort of like been harkening back to the Paris Commune and the sort of merging 
of like the democratic rights that like you know you enjoy under like a liberal bourgeois democracy that don't extend into the realm of economics right so i really mm-hmm. like that merging of the you know of the uh, democratic political rights with the economic right which That's right. Uh, all these opportunists they never they never want to get to they never really want to get to the uh, the economic right what it actually means right mm. to uh, to have a worker state you know? well well i mean they want workers to have more money and resources but they don't want them to have more power over the economy which is a really important difference between uh liberals and what we might call anti-capitalists so um then okay then he ties oh we're bringing it back so uh, now he ties kautsky's arguments back into bernstein's arguments okay saying quote uh, the whole of Kautsky's argument against Panacoke, and particularly the former's wonderful point that we cannot do without officials, even in our party and trade union organizations, is merely a repetition of Bernstein's old arguments against Marxism in general. And he puts arguments argument. in scare. He puts arguments in scare quotes. Man, he's, so, he's so sassy. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a spicy, spicy boy. He is. So, <laughs> he's a hot tamale. So then, so then he cites Bernstein's book, The Premises of Socialism, in which Bernstein argues against too much direct or, quote-unquote, primitive worker democracy, saying that the British trade unions, this is funny, the British trade unions, after 70 years of development, quote, in absolute freedom, uh, <laughs> decided that this kind of democracy was not it, chief, and needed to be replaced by something, you know, mere more bureaucratic, which, you know, we can see this to this day. We see this in the model of um, (laughs) traditional trade unions where leadership is kind of divorced from and not necessarily that accountable to the rank and file. And like Jorge just now, Lenin's like, lol, Mm -hmm. uh, the trade unions did not develop quote in absolute freedom, but in absolute capitalist slavery, dot, dot, dot. And under socialism, much of primitive democracy will inevitably be revived since for the first time in the history of civilized society, the mass of population will rise to taking an independent part, not only in voting at elections, but also in the everyday administration of the state. Under socialism, all will govern in turn and will soon become accustomed to no one governing. It's called full communism. Ever heard of it? (laughs) It's such a weird thing to say. It's like... You know, it, it sounds almost anachronistic Why? to call Bernstein this, but he's, he's coming across as out of touch. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the the best... I mean, I don't know why he would even say that because it's like obviously you could get shot down immediately by anyone with half a brain. But I guess like in terms of like the bourgeois concept of, of freedom, of these, these liberal rights, these liberal concepts, like I guess... They are free in the same way that people, you know, under capitalism, workers are free to, like, make contracts or reject them with whatever uh, capitalist they please. But as we know, they're not really free because there are economic pressures at play. Exactly. So there's, there's always, like, this idea of, like, the freedoms that capitalism can afford you. But those freedoms are always negated by, like, freedoms or rights that are, like, taken away, Right. Like, you might have, like, the right to negotiate, right? Suppose, well, you might have, I should say, the right to, like, quit your job and find a new job, right? But what if the job market, right, um, what if there aren't any jobs, right? 
What if when even when you get a new job, negotiating pay with your boss is another sort of roadblock that you have to have to come up against? So even within all these freedoms, these concentric freedoms, there are always these little barriers, right, that block you from like, you know. What if you can't quit your job because you don't have any money? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but we're all equal in the marketplace of ideas, okay? Exactly, which is why we do a podcast, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, he goes on. Um, Marx's, I'm quoting now, Marx's critico-analytical genius saw in the practical measures of the commune the turning point which the opportunists fear and do not want to recognize because of their cowardice, because Mm. they do not want to break irrevocably with the bourgeoisie, and which the anarchists do not want to see, either because they are in a hurry or because they do not understand at all the conditions of great social changes. Mm, Just imagine a bunch of anarchists like, I'm late, I'm late, I'm late for a very important society. We must not even think of destroying the old state machine. How can we do without ministries and officials, argues the opportunist, who is completely saturated with Philistinism and who, at bottom, not only does not believe in revolution, in the creative power of revolution, but lives in mortal dread of it, like our Mensheviks and socialist revolutionaries. And that's a fire quote, and he's referring to uh, you know factions other than the Bolsheviks. Exactly, yeah. So there's, there's actually a lot of fire quotes in this part it was really hard to decide what to what to take and what to leave behind that was but i one long lenin just being like i'm a fucking hater i fucking hate yeah. all of you motherfuckers. i fucking hate all of you oh you suck mm-hmm. get your money up or up. actually get your social yeah. democrats it's like it's like social democrats whack anarchists whack mensheviks whack social revolutionaries whack <laughs> Where he's like, you want to be with us, folks. We're the winning team. And he, you know, he's making a pretty good case for himself. He's got swag. Well, he's they call uh, him he's the, got style. They call him the Bolsheviks or the majority for a reason, right? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, once again, he's like, I'm right about how we get to communism and the Paris Commune proves it. Now, we've talked before about how it's like a bit of a, a thin singular data point, but it's all they have at this point, mm-hmm. to be fair. So, uh, you know, we'll have more soon. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. If we if we get up, I mean, I guess we're going to rewind. We're going to go back in time after this. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. but there, there will be more. Trust me. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's about it's about to happen. You no know, spoilers. But uh, mm-hmm. we're going to have some some exciting news for you in the epilogue. It's true. So uh, <laughs> it's all it's cumulative. It's all cumulative. Yeah. So, um Okay, Lenin repeats some more things he's already said, uh, which I'm not going to read. And then he throws in another quote from Kautsky, where Kautsky's like, uh, the goal should never be to destroy state power, but to get a bourgeois government that's willing to meet the proletariat halfway. We just have to win a majority in parliament, do you see? <laughs> that, was a, that, was a good, that was a good Kautsky. I'm sure Thank he sounded you. just like that. I'm sure he sounded just like um, my former boss. I don't know. Um, And then he's like, so then Lennon's like, no, bitch. That's not what Marx meant in the manifesto when he said we must bring about the organization of the proletariat as the ruling class. Like there's almost no way to go from that to what Kautsky believes. Uh, It's like a grand logical leap. But, you know, nonetheless, a lot of people have made it. Uh, They've always been people who read Marx and they're like, I'm 
that I'm a social democrat. That's why we got to vote for Bernie, whatever, whatever. Mm. Um, I mean, literally what Lenin is saying is like a lot of the people who he calls opportunists are just literally like that. Like people know or know, no, just like a tweet, like a joke tweet. It's like, man, as soon as I get some of that, some, some money, I'm over the socialism shit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah I pretty think, much. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also, it's just like, you know, um, like, like people, you just have people on the left who seem like want Medicare for all and all these universal social programs, right? Right. But they don't actually want to shift like a balance in power, right? So like, I mean, these people are also comfortable with like imperialist ventures, right? Because like this is the way that like Western states like enrich themselves, you know. So sure, Medicare for all, if it means like a you all know who we're talking wedding. about. We're not gonna say names, but you all know. Yeah, who Yeah, but we're talking I mean, about. it's like Pat, Medicare for all if it means like droning a wedding in like Pakistan or something, yeah. you know. We're nicer than Lennon, so we're not going to name names. We're not going to name names. Not. In the tweets, maybe. Check me in the tweets. Like, pe- people yeah. think the left is mean now, but, like, this is not new. No, Motherfuckers killed each other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not just with words. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like to think if we ever become some sort of ruling party, uh, we'd be a bit nicer to the people who disagree with us. But uh, we'll see. Well, We'll see how it goes. <laughs> so, that's um, where that's where the access. That's where we be the three of us. Uh, 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 what's not bifurcate? <laughs> I guess trifurcate. Uh, I'm like, nah. Maybe it'd be a little bit meaner to these people. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. You know what's what's necessary. We'll see what's necessary when the, when the time comes. Exactly. Um, I mean, because like they could just be like irrelevant losers, and we won't really need to do anything. I mean, which most likely them. they will be. Hopefully. Yeah, everyone who disagrees with us is an ir- irrelevant loser. Exactly. That's right, folks. Exactly. Um, and, if, so, and everyone and everyone that we find annoying but is still there is a wrecker. <laughs> that's right. That's the truth. Yeah. So a friend, a, an anarchist friend of mine, who's a good comrade of mine, uh, shout out to Jacob. He he has this amazing bit he does. He's like, listen, my politics are very clear. Anyone to my left that I find anyone that I find annoying that wants me to do something that I don't want to do at this moment is an ultra leftist. And anyone that's preventing me from doing what I want to do right now is an opportunist and a and a, <laughs> and a reactionary. Yeah, 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 that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so yeah, let's finish out mm. this part. It's almost done. Um, he finishes by calling out Kautsky and others as opportunists one more time, just for good measure. And then he says, "Quote." He's like, "All right, these these people are bad." Blah blah blah. I'm not going to read the whole thing. We, however shall break with the opportunists mm. and the entire class conscious proletariat will be with us in the fight. Oh, isn't that nice? Mm-hmm. Mm. Not to, quote, shift the balance of forces, bleh, but to overthrow the bourgeoisie, to destroy bourgeois parliamentarism for a democratic republic after the type of the commune or a republic of Soviets, of workers and soldiers' deputies. Um, this is me now, a Soviet Union, if you will, mm-hmm. um, for the revolutionary dictatorship of the proletariat. The Republic of Soviets, if you could keep it. <laughs> Boom. So then he, that would be like a really good mic drop, but uh, then he has a little bit more where he brings it back around to current events, saying that the Second International is just thoroughly infiltrated with opportunists who want to silence or ignore the question of the relationship of the revolution to the state. And this is especially bad at a time when all of these currently existing bourgeois states are getting ready to go to war over the question of which national bourgeoisie is going to rule the world. 
Uh, no more about the class war. And now that's the mic drop. The mic yeah, drop. that's it. And thank, and thank you, Jamie, uh, for wrapping chapter yeah. six up. And yeah. we're pretty much at the end of this book. However, there is a last postscript that very short. I'll just mm. read it like directly, mm. which is kind of ends the whole book. But he says, this is just from, from Lennon. This pamphlet was written in August and September 1917. I had already drawn up the plan for the next, the seventh chapter, the experience of the Russian revolutions of 1905 and 1917. Apart from the title, however, I had no time to write a single line of the chapter. I was interrupted by a political crisis, the eve of the October Revolution of 1917. Such an interruption can only be welcomed. But the writing of the second part of this pamphlet, the experience of the Russian revolutions in 1905 and 1917, will probably have to be put off for a long time. It is more pleasant and useful to go through the experience of revolution than to write about it. The author, Petrograd, November 30th, 1917. Damn. That is such a flex. I got busy doing revolution, so um, I'll get back around to it. And it never did like a true ADHD king. Well, it reminds me of that uh, that Marx quote, right? Like the point of uh, previously philosophers have only been meant to interpret it the world. The point is to change it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he kind of ends it like put up or theory. shut up. Yeah, he ends this work of Hick theory. Hick like, salsa, bitch. <laughs> he ends this work of theory being like, uh, yeah, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna actually do the damn thing. So yeah, definitely Hall of Famer organizer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely lends some heft to a lot of the things he is saying, although. Like, he had a vision, so, and then he did it. He convinced everyone to do it, and he did the thing. Some he did. He did part of the thing. Mm. Like uh, they were definitely victorious in this in this moment, but were they successful in the long term? I think that question is to be determined. Personally, no, I think so. I think so too. Like I think Jamie, like the way to the way that's helped me, like not be be mired in like kind of bleakness and like the grim reality of the situation right um it's not not just you know we've been seeing like a lot of uh labor a labor movement a resurgent labor movement during covid but it's also like the fact that like all this is cumulative so it's like the question of whether or not they succeeded i mean i guess they did succeed because in a way because here we are talking about these ideas today you know i mean it depends how you define success well like if you if you define success as like overthrowing capitalism and bringing about global communism. No, they did not do that. Um, but they still did some pretty cool things that they should get credit for. And, you know, maybe they moved the ball a little bit in that direction and we should all feel happy about that. And, you know, they gave us some history to study so we can see, uh, what worked and what maybe didn't work so well in case we ever get a chance to try it again. Absolutely. You know, and I I will say too, that like, I understand that I'll say this and I understand that like, the the time like the 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 time that we have and the time that we really kind of don't have left right we have a lot of time left right um but i'll still say that like capitalism i mean it didn't develop overnight right it took like you know like a centuries. long long time centuries right i mean even before millennia right centuries and then to become hundreds of years hundreds of years or at least to become what it was right um i mean we don't really have that time but i will say though that um i mean it's 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 like it's like a relay race, right? Like you just pass the baton, you know. So I mean, mm-hmm. we take these successes and failures, especially the failures, 
And, um, you know, we take them in stride and then we kind of learn from it and keep going. It's kind of like what you've talked about, Jamie, in terms of the organizing that we see going on today. I mean, it's just all cumulative, right? Like people look at the last action, right? And they say, what can we learn from it? And they do it at the next one, right? And, you know, hopefully, I hope so. Hopefully, with that, we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll head somewhere. Yeah. I hope, I hope that, I think that that is true, honestly. I mean, I have hopeful days and less hopeful days, but, uh, the way that I've seen these things develop, especially, I mean, look, history is happening, folks. Like, I think it's safe to say that we are in one of those weeks where decades happen. Yeah. <laughs> stuff's happening. Stuff's going to keep happening. Uh, I know I said earlier that nothing like the Paris Commune has happened in recent years, but there have been, like, huge uprisings. Uh, oh, here we had a little thing called the George Floyd Uprising. Mm-hmm. Uh Kazakhstan like overthrew the government and like only the people were only uh only only quelled once Russia sent in its own troops to the country uh we had a a commune like scenario in Sudan and those are just a few of the things that I could think of off the top of my head in the past few years so like shit is popping off and shit is getting crazy uh and you know it's really gonna be up to well it's probably not going to be up to us, but mm. we we do still need to try up, our it, best both, to contribute to constructively to these struggles. It's both up to us and not up to us because we are all part of the same larger class, which is the proletarian class. So it is it is up to us, but also not up to us. Only together can we win. Yeah, I mean, Badass. and I think I think too to close out too, since we just finished State and Revolution. I mean, like, you know, I think it's like one of the most important texts because. Like hundred percent. I mean, it's one thing to like kind of vaguely sort of um, imagine a vague idea of um, the conception of a socialist state, um, what revolution actually means, like what do we replace the state with? But I think like this kind of like talks about the function, the nature of a state. And it was one of the first texts for me, at least, that made me understand that, you know, when you think that you first might think that as a liberal, you might think that, oh, nothing is working right, right? None of this works, right? But then reading this for the first time, it made me realize, oh, no, the state is actually working as it's designed to do, right? Like poverty, right? Like, I mean, especially when, you know, for me as a black person, when I look at, like, motherfuckers getting shot by the police, right? And, you know, I'm like, oh, no, that that was the way the system is supposed to work, right? And it wasn't really until, like, I read this... You know, this 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 book, especially where um, I understood that all of this is like uh, purposeful. Right. And that the nature of the state is to not be an arbiter for class relations. Right. But to actually depending on which to which who the dominant class is. Right. To suppress the other class. Right. And um, I don't know. I mean, this is one of my favorite, favorite uh, introductory texts, man. Happy we got a chance to do it. I think I think to kind of like just, you know, we're finished. Same revolution. Mm -hmm. I think it's wonderful we finished. There's a lot of more exciting Yay. things on the horizon. So mm-hmm. kind of, you know, I'm glad we ended on a hopeful note. Um, Indeed. And also to anyone who's listening that, you know, either it's kind of new to this stuff or, you know, has their own kind of ideology that they already have, the tendency that they have. Uh, I, I want to end with a quote by uh, someone I admire that has a really, really good quote about Lenin that, like, can be, um, you know, even if, like, you disagree with, like, you know, some of the stuff he said or some of the stuff he did in leadership or things of that nature, I think could be, uh, I think somewhat accurate in terms of the way we think about it. It's, I honor Lenin as a man who completely sacrificed himself and devoted all his energy to the realization of social justice 
one uh i do, in, i think the quote includes um sorry i do not know if his method if his our methods are practical but one thing is certain men of his type are the guardians and restorers of the conscience of humanity the person who said that was albert einstein oh yeah there wow smartest man that ever fucking lived y'all know who that is right <laughs> didn't, he, didn't he invent gravity or some shit? I don't know who that is, man. Yeah, it does. It like it does make me sad that we had so many famous socialists in the 20th century who were doing like really impressive and exciting things in all different areas, mm. all different uh, disciplines. Mm. And what do we what do we have now? We have Leonardo DiCaprio and Don't Look Up. That's what we got. Oh, <laughs> I I don't think that he's Red Lennon. Nah, get, get, get Leo guy. to read Lennon. That'd be you funny. know who has read Lennon though? Fucking Patrick Stewart. He actually played Lennon in some fucking uh, oh, in some okay. British yeah. play shit. Yeah, man. We need. Uh, we need. Definitely, we need to do a cultural Marxism on that. Oh, st- oh bro, we've already we've talked about it in the group. We'll we'll talk about it in the group chat. But yeah. I'm com- I'm ready to do a little even sub series cultural Marxism Star Trek. Just give me like give me like five episodes. Let's get five episodes. Man. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! yeah but. Thank you all of you for following the series. If you started it, there's more to come. And until next time, do the reading. Do the reading. reading. Bye-bye. Bye.